0: I worship, you. I worship you. We sing Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the
1: Darkness. My God, that is who you are. You are Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness who you are. Stop and never stop working. I never stop and never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you work. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. I never stop and never stop working. I never stop and never stop working.
0: Right. Good morning, church. How is everyone? I am so excited. I am so excited to be here because we are in the house of the Lord and we are together. Isn't that amazing today? Yeah. Yes. Are you excited? Are you excited to praise and worship? <laughs> yes. 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 And so I was thinking. I was thinking this morning. What? Like I know what our purpose is, but what is our purpose? You know, why do we gather? And we gather to be encouraged and to. Um, To hold each other accountable, but the primary reason that we gather is to glorify the Lord. You know that's really why we're here, and so that brought us to, um, as Pastor Orion and I were talking, that brought us to um, Psalm twenty-seven, verses four and five. It says, "One thing have I asked of the Lord that that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple." For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon our rock. Our greatest desire, church, our greatest hope should be simply to glorify our Lord and our Savior. And that comes out not only in the way that we sing, in the way that we pray with the way that we live every aspect of our lives, the way that we desire things, you know. If we desire, if I desire anything else other than the greatness of God being manifest in my life, I am in sin. And so I would encourage you as you sing, sing from that place. As you pray today, pray from that place. And as you, as you hear the word, I pray that God would cause you, cause me to turn even closer to him. So let's pray. And then we're gonna sing. God, I thank you for your graciousness. I thank you that we are allowed to gather here. And Lord, I pray that you would simply turn our hearts closer to you. I I, I sincerely pray that we would offer you worship that is that is acceptable to you, that is based on spirit and in truth. Father, that you would be pleased with your saints singing and glorifying your name let nothing else be on our hearts let nothing else be on our lips but the name of Jesus and the greatness of our God we love you and we thank you for the honor of singing to you singing about you for you are holy above all things in Christ's name amen stand with us and let's sing church makes all things new. We celebrate together. Come
1: on. I search the world Just fall face down on the floor all to echo holy is the lord my heart can't help but sing with all
0: pray for those hearts here that are broken I pray for those hearts that have turned far away from you Lord that they would hear these truths sung that they would hear these words preached and they would say that's my God I want that God I pray for every every sickness every marital challenge every job challenge every personal struggle in here today God there's so many Apart from Christ, we are basically train wrecks. But your word clearly says that in Christ, there is now no condemnation. And I pray that we would turn to you, not just in our need, but because we see you for who you really are. God, I pray for the man or the woman or the child that has never accepted Christ, that has never heard the gospel. Let them hear it preached today. Let them have its good work that you would choose today to call them to yourself. Let us marvel together at your greatness as we sing and as we celebrate in Christ's name. Lord is my share.
2: church. Y'all, y'all appreciate your worship team? Thank you, guys. Thank you. I mean, that that blessed me. Man, we're just singing. God, this, there, Jesus, there's nothing better than you. God, we're singing about Lord's holiness, angels, millions of angels falling down before him. God, I am not alone. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Um, we're going to lead us into a time of prayer. If you're new with us, we, um, we love just to take a little bit of time just corporately to spend time in prayer together. Um, I'm, uh, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the student pastor here. My name's Ryan Colpitz, and, uh, and, and while I'm here this morning, I want to encourage you guys to pray for your pastor. Pray for Pastor Brad and his family while they're out on vacation. Uh, pray for him. Encourage him. Lift him up. Um, I don't say that to say anything between the lines. I say that because uh, in my background where I grew up, my home church went through a, a nasty church split uh, over something really silly. And, and the associate pastor, he, he charged the body afterwards, after everything had went down. And he said something that always stuck with me. He said, uh, what if every time you went to complain, you instead prayed for your pastor? And so anytime I get a chance, I'm going to remind you guys to pray for your pastor. So pray for Brad and his family while they're out. Uh, but right now I'm going to lead us into a time of prayer. Um, I've just kind of sensed the Lord just uh, keeping me in Psalm 51. And so I want to read it to you. It'll be on the screen. It says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. You know, in this passage here, um, David, King David, um, has been caught in some deep sin. He's being convicted, right? I mean, he's, he's just committed adultery with Bathsheba. He murdered, her, he murdered her husband, Uriah, and then he lied about it to cover it up. And so he's experiencing some conviction. And, and, and there's one thing that God has made clear to him is that if unless the sin is removed, unless conviction and repentance is, happens, you're not going to experience my presence in your life. You're not going to experience my power. You're not going to be filled with my spirit. You won't walk in my joy. And what I don't want for you this morning is to come here and sing praises to God and hear his word. But because there's something in your life that's keeping you, causing tension between you and God, you're not able to receive that. You're not able to live in the fullness of his spirit. And so I just want to lead us in t- just a time of, of repentance and just, just bow your heads for a moment and just say, God, is there anything in my heart right now that I need to confess? Lord, is there any sin in my life that is keeping me from having fellowship with you right now? Lord, are there things in my life that that are pulling me away from, things that maybe I knew you've been calling me to let go of, but I've been holding on to them? God, I want to experience your presence this morning. I want to experience the fullness, the joy of my salvation. I want to... Be filled with your spirit, so God, create in me a clean heart. Would that be your prayer? Dad? I confess that we are desperately in need of your presence this morning. I confess that I am holy and utterly inadequate to perform and to do what you've called me to do right here Lord to open your word so God I pray that your spirit would go before me that you would shine forth as you already have in songs Lord as we sing about your glory God would you be lifted high would you remove any, anything in our lives that seeks to separate us from you God I pray for repentance and confession now I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, you'd fill us with joy, that you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see, and hearts willing to obey and follow you. And I ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, would you turn with me to the book of Jeremiah chapter 2? Jeremiah chapter 2, and, and as you're turning there, uh, I want you to think with me for a second, um, Try to remember the greatest meal of your entire life, all right? You got it? Think about it. I, th- I want you to think about what is the greatest meal of your entire life. That might be a tough one. Some of you probably had a lot of good meals. For me, it's an easy one. It was at my parents' 30th, an- 30th anniversary. Uh, we went to a Brazilian steakhouse. And it was amazing. If, you, if you've never been to a Brazilian steakhouse, you have to go at least once just to try it. I mean, they bring out these giant hunks of meat, and they'll come over, and they'll just slice it right off onto your plate. I mean, it's glorious, right? It's awesome. I'm pretty sure what the heaven's going to be like. Um, but, but, but at the beginning of the meal, get this, right? So the beginning of the meal, you sit down, you get your drinks or whatever. The waiter comes over. They give you a, a circle. And on the circle, one side is red, and you flip it over, and it's green. And, and what, it, what happens is if you leave the circle on red, then you are signaling to the waiter to stop. Don't bring me any more of that. You know, I'm good. If you leave it on green, keep it coming, right? And so, and so but here's the trick, right? Because um, you see, before I went to the steakhouse, uh, I was warned by a friend. He said, hey, listen, right, listen, um, they're going to try to fill you up on all the meats they bring out at the beginning, Okay? Because at the beginning, they're going to be serving you lamb chops, you know, stuff like, like mutton, all, all the cheap stuff. And, and what you want to do is, like, you, you want to hold out. It's like, I know, I know it's going to be hard, but you want to hold out. Wait until the end. Because it's coming, filet mignon. So I waited, right? Lamb chops come by. Pretty good. Eh. Pork tenderloin. Okay. Okay, top sirloin, that's really good. Prime rib, oh, are you sure we don't want to get a little bit more of that? Uh, bacon-wrapped chicken fillets. And all of these dishes are being supplemented by an all-you-can-eat salad bar. Um, between entrees, they're bringing out garlic whipped mashed potatoes and caramelized bananas. I mean, they really wanted to fill you up, right? Uh, but finally, right, finally the moment arrives and the waiter, he comes. And it's just like the movies, right? He's got, he's got this this big dish with a silver platter, and he comes over and he sets it down and he lifts it up. Oh, there it is. Filet mignon. Wrapped in bacon and I was like, oh, green light, keep it coming. Keep it coming, come on. And it was the best meal of my entire life. Everything was worth it, right? The weight was worth it. Passing out on the other meats was worth it. Why? Because that satisfied me. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning in God's word. What satisfies you? How do we experience true satisfaction? So Jeremiah chapter 2, we're going to be starting in verse 1. If you're with me, say word. All right, all right, here we go. We're awake. Let's get into it. The word of the Lord came to me. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us out of the land of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives? I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priest did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. Therefore, I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord. And I will bring charges against your children's children. Cross over to the coast of Cyprus and look. Send to Kadar and observe closely. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all, but my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. How do you experience true satisfaction? First point, stop pursuing the world. Stop pursuing the world. The situation in Jeremiah 2 was very simple. God's people were thirsty, not a physical thirst. There was a spiritual thirst, but they they were thirsty, and they had two options for satisfying it. Take a drink from God or dig their own wells to look for water. God says they chose door number two. And and just as the the problems were simple, the questions we need to ask this morning are simple as well. How did God's people find themselves in this situation? And which door are you choosing to satisfy? See, the answer to the first question, uh, look back at verse 1. Right, Go back to verse 1 with me. Because maybe, you know, we're going to see, okay, how did God's people find themselves in this position? Maybe, maybe they just got off to a bad start, right? Like, maybe that's how they ended up. Like, how, how, how do we get to verse 13? Let's see. Um, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, this is Jeremiah, and said, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the lord so did god and his people just kind of get off to a, a poor beginning to their relationship right is that what, is that what happened well no right like like listen to the words that god uses to describe the people he says they were devoted right they followed him when right when when times were good no they followed him in the wilderness right they, they stuck with god through the tough times they were holy he calls them so what happened Right, how do we go from verses 1 through 3 to verse 13? Right? How, how does this shift happen? Look at verse 5. Verse 5, it says, This is what the Lord says, What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. You see, God says that the people started following after worthless idols, and as a result, they became worthless. If you were, if you were to turn to Psalm 135, we give us, it gives us a similar insight. Listen to verse 15. It says, The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see, ears but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. And this is, this is so important for us to hear because don't, don't miss it, right? The psalmist says that here's, what, here's idols, right? Here's what idols are like, right? They got mouths, they can't speak, eyes, they can't see, ears, they can't hear. There's no breath in them. They have uh, no life in them. And here's the kicker, verse 18, is anyone who trusts in them becomes like them. God's word says that idols are worthless, that they do nothing. They are dead, lifeless things, and guess what? When you trust in and follow after worthless idols, you become just like them. And so God's people pursued worthless things, and as a result, they themselves became worthless. Um, That word worthless in the Hebrew, it's the word habal. It it literally means emptiness, right? The people sought after empty things and became empty. And and, and I want to key in on a, a Particular word there in verse 5, that word follow. You look at the word follow. Because what we see happening in these first couple verses is is God's creating a parallel. right? If you go back to verse 2, you see here is God's people and what are they doing? They're following God. They're following him in the wilderness. But now in verse 5, what are they doing? They're following worthless idols. And so I was thinking about what, what what all is involved in their following you know like like what did it look like for god's people to follow him at the beginning well again let's think specifically about it because where are they They're, they're in they're in the wilderness so so god's referencing back to the people of israel's time as they spent 40 years wandering in the desert so so think about that time think about israel wandering in the desert what did it look like for them to follow god well i mean they had to trust and rely on him for a lot right I mean, he would direct them. He would tell them when when to get up and move, when to set down for camp. They had the presence of God with them in the tabernacle. They had the protection of God as he covered them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They saw the power of God in the ten plagues of Egypt and at the Red Sea and at Mount Sinai and thunder and smoke. They experienced the provision of God when he sent manna and quail and and brought water out of a dry and rocky land. They were trusting in the promises of God as he was leading them to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This was God's people living in the presence of God, under the protection of God, witnessing the power of God, experiencing the provision of God, and trusting in the promises of God. God was the one that they looked to for satisfaction. When they were in a dry and barren land, a land where no one dwells, God was the one they turned to for every need. So what changed? They started to pursue satisfaction from places other than God. They started to look to other things, to trust in other things besides God to meet their needs. In short, the people of God had become dissatisfied with God. And this brings up an, an important principle that I, wanna, I wa- want you to remember. It's that dissatisfaction drives deviation. Dissatisfaction drives deviation. We're going to see that play out in our passage in a bit. If you look at verse 2, again, there's another word God uses to describe his people. It's the word bride. Bride. He says, hey, hey I remember your love as a bride. And, and this language is not unique to Jeremiah. All throughout the Bible, God's word uses this, um, this language of, of uh, the God's church and God's people as the bride of Christ. Jesus makes references to himself as the bridegroom. The book of Hosea particularly keys in on this analogy. But what's interesting is that God is, is comparing his people's original state to that of a young bride. And he's basically saying, hey, hey guys, you remember our honeymoon? Wasn't that awesome? Belize, fresh fish, smoothies, hammocks on the beach. Wasn't that great? I, I, I remember that. And it's not lost on me that God is using marriage as an example here. I don't have any stats on this, but I would be willing to say that the overwhelming majority of divorces come about as a result of dissatisfaction. You can do a quick Google search and the top three causes of divorce might say money, sex, and communication, but I bet that it would all boil down to a dissatisfaction in at least one of the parties in regards to those areas. Dissatisfaction drives deviation. When you become dissatisfied with your spouse, what do you do? You get a new spouse. When you become dissatisfied, when you're a dissatisfied customer, what do you do? You find a new company. When you're a dissatisfied employee, what do you do? You get a new job. And what God is saying is that my people have become dissatisfied with me. They looked for a new God. And I say become because it's obvious that the people weren't always that way. Right? I'm reminded of Hebrews 5.11 where God says the people had become dull of hearing. Right? They weren't always that way, but now they are. Revelations 2, 4, and 5 I think speaks really fittingly to this. It says uh, again to the church of Ephesus, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. You see, God's people had become dissatisfied with him. They lost their first love and they sought after others. And so how do you and I, how do we go about experiencing true satisfaction in our lives? Well, first, we've got to stop pursuing the world, right? We have to stop looking to the world for satisfaction. Okay, I got that. But how do I do that? Step one, see the worthlessness of the world. Step back a slide for me, please. Sorry, I'm I'm tricking you up. There we go. See, See the worthlessness of the world. See the worthlessness, the emptiness of this world. Right, God's people had stopped trusting Him. They'd stopped following Him. They'd stopped looking to Him for satisfaction. Instead, they started to look for uh, things around them. They started to look for satisfaction in, in worldly things. And the result, they became like them, empty and worthless. This morning, church, what are you following? What are you trusting in? What are you looking to for satisfaction? Are you trusting in your finances and the stock market to carry you through? God bless you. Are you seeking satisfaction in a relationship? That relationship will never bring you lasting satisfaction. And that person you're looking to will not be able to live up to that expectation. They will be crushed beneath the weight of the, the expectation for you to satisfy their soul. Nothing else can do that. And let me just talk to single people for a moment. Students, if there's any students in the room, let me talk to you as well. Um, uh, don't look for a relationship for satisfaction. Don't look for a relationship to the satisfaction. I know that right now, if you're in that state and you have a desire for a relationship, that it can feel like a massive void in your life. Right, there's a tendency to believe that if you can just get this figured out, life will be complete. But it's a lie. If you seek satisfaction in the pursuit of a future relationship, then your only reward will be disappointment and ultimately what the Israelites found, emptiness. And on top of that, it separates you from God. Don't look to a relationship for satisfaction. Find your satisfaction in Jesus, right? The only one who can fill that God-sized hole in your heart is him. So what are you seeking in this life? What are you trusting in and looking to for satisfaction? Are are you desperate for success? Um, do, Do you crave the approval and the acceptance of others? Right, whatever it is that you're looking to, it's become an idol in your life. Anything that you are trusting in and seeking satisfaction from outside of God has taken the role of the idol. Even good things. I've got two kids, Cannon and Shepherd, four and two. I love those guys. I love my kids. But if my satisfaction is found in their development, their obedience, their talents, and their abilities, then my kids have become my idol. If we truly desire to see, experience the satisfaction, uh, true satisfaction in this world, then it, it, we have to see the worthlessness of everything in this world apart from God. I love what Paul says in Galatians 5.24. He says, "In those who belong to Christ Jesus, that's us, right? Those of us who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He says, if you belong to Christ, if you're in Christ, then you've crucified the flesh along with everything that it craves and desires. Crucifixion was a death sentence, Right. It was humiliation. It was shame. You would be stripped naked and hung high. It was was a shameful thing. You were declared guilty, a criminal, worthless. When you passed by people, they would slap you and spit on you. You see, as as Christians, on on this side of the cross, we look back at that, and we see the beauty of the cross and what Jesus did at at Calvary, and, and rightfully so. But what Paul is saying is now, now because of Calvary, I put the world in its place. I take these sinful desires and passions, I take the praises and the approval of man, I take the riches of this world, all the glories of this world which are ultimately empty and worthless, I take them and I nail them to the cross and I look to all this world has to offer and I despise it. I see it as condemned, dying, and shameful. He says Christ was crucified for this world so that we could crucify the world. Step one, see the worthlessness of what this world has to offer. Step two, see the gloriousness of God. See the gloriousness of God. Look back at Jeremiah 2. Look at verse 6. What were the people of God doing? Or rather, what were they not doing? It says, They did not ask, where is the Lord, who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one dwells and lives. They stopped seeking God. No one asked, where is the Lord? They forgot about him. They forgot about all he did in Egypt, in the wilderness. They forgot about his provision, protection, power, um, and, and promises. That God, God says in verse 7, look at verse 7. He says, I brought you into the promised land. Or, I brought you into the fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. They became pretentious in their plenty. In the land of blessing, they became a curse. They stopped looking for God, to God for satisfaction, and they stopped trusting and depending on him. If we want to experience satisfaction, then we have to stop pursuing this world. And we do that by seeing how worthless and empty it is and how glorious God is. You have to remember what he's done for you. Uh, Verse 11 is such a damning verse for God's people. Verse 11, it says, has a nation ever changed its gods, yet they're not gods at all, but my people have exchanged their glorious God for, for worthless idols. I mean, do you hear it? Right, The worst trade that has happened in the history of mankind, I mean, I'm talking a bigger steal than the Louisiana Purchase, right? They, they traded their glorious God for empty, dead, worthless things that could never satisfy. How wonder is that you today? If you desire satisfaction, then we have to first stop pursuing the world. And secondly, we have to instead pursue God. Pursue God. You see, we, we have to stop pursuing the world. Matthew 6.24 says that no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters, so we have to stop pursuing the world. But it has to go beyond that. See, there's a belief in physics that's attributed to the philosopher Aristotle, and it's known by the Latin phrase horror vacui, translation, nature abhors a vacuum. And the belief is that there, if there is a vacuum, a void in nature, then something will seek to fill it. And, and, and I believe that this principle holds true in the spiritual realm as well. That's why in Colossians 3 Paul doesn't just say to put off your old selves, but that we're told to put on our new selves in Christ, right? It's not just enough to take off what is bad, but you have to intentionally put on what is right so that something else doesn't fill that void. When we speak of repentance, uh, the word literally means to change one's mind. There's a, there's a metaphorical shifting, uh, a turning that takes place, and, and so we turn from the bad thing, but as we turn, what happens? We turn towards something else. So we turn from the sin and we turn to Jesus. We can't just stop pursuing the world. We have to replace it with pursuing Jesus. So pursue the Lord. Pursue the Lord with faithfulness. Pursue him with faithfulness. Uh, Verse 2 says that God's people were devoted to him. In the Greek, that word devoted is kesed. You may see it translated as loving kindness or steadfast love. It's, a, it's primarily used in description of God's love for his people. And the two, the two meanings it expresses here is, a, is tenderness and consideration specifically towards others. right? Kesed is never a self-seeking love. It's always an outward expression. It's an enduring, faithful, covenant love. And, and what God says is, is, this is the love that my people had for me. right? This is the love that you were walking in. Their satisfaction was not found in pursuing their own desires, but in selflessly pursuing God's desires. So how do we do that? Right? How, this morning, how do we walk in this faithfulness? How, how do we maintain this level? first of all, you do it by depending and trusting in the Holy Spirit. John 15, 5 says, apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. So uh, the, the, a part of our initial problem is, is really simple. It's just that w- we, we really need Jesus. We need his help. Um, but outside of that, if we want to pursue God in faithfulness, it boils down to, again, simple problems, simple answers. Prayer and the word. Prayer and the word. That may seem like a Sunday school answer. That may seem so simple. But you get into God's word, and you devote yourself in prayer before him. And let me see if God doesn't start changing and doing some things in your life. Commit yourself to hearing from God. Do you know how you end up like the Israelites Do you know the easiest way to stop following God? Stop listening to Him. Do you you know how you forget about all that God has done? You stop hearing about it. You stop reminding yourself of who He is and what He's done. To pursue God in faithfulness, we must have a renewed, Spirit-empowered commitment to going before Him in prayer and hearing from Him in His Word. But we also must pursue Him and holiness. You see, it's been decreed that we can do nothing apart from God, and the part of God that generally comes to our assistance is who Jesus refers to as the helper, the Holy Spirit. But how can you experience the enabling power and the presence of God in your life if you're not walking also in the purity of God? You see 1 Thessalonians 5:19 warns us not to quench the spirit in our lives. When we pursue things of this world, when we follow after idols, when we seek satisfaction from other things, we allow sin to reign within us. Even as believers. Right? Even as believers, it's it's not that we don't have the spirit of God. Right? We do. That's a promise. But we're not always filled up with it. You know, it's like this. Um, when I get a cup of coffee, um, and now when I was nineteen, I was told lied to whatever told um, that if, if I kept drinking coffee, I would eventually like it um, twelve years later uh, I still hate it okay but but I drink it I drank it this morning actually because I like the effects that it has on me right I like how I feel when I drink coffee and 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 I drink my coffee half and half and 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 I I know that you're probably thinking I mean I use half and half, but really what I mean is that my coffee is half coffee and half cream and sugar, right? It's, it's, it's awesome as you just kind of watch the, the coffee transform and get lighter and lighter and lighter. That, that's how it is if I drink it how I like it. And you may look at me and go, well, then that's not coffee, right? What you have in your cup is not coffee, and I go, well, sure it is, but you persist. You say, no, no. It used to be coffee until you threw all that other crap in there, and now you can't even taste it. Do you hear it? You may have the Holy Spirit in your life, but when you throw all that other crap in there, you can't even taste it. You can't even sense it. I'd have no way of knowing by looking at the cup of coffee, which is your life, that you were filled with the Spirit because all you can see is sin. You cannot pursue God in faithfulness, committing to prayer and His Word, unless you are filled with His Spirit. And you cannot be filled with His Spirit while you are simultaneously walking and living in sin. The great evangelist Dwight L. Moody once said, The the Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. If you want to experience satisfaction, pursue the Lord in holiness. Confess your sin, repent, turn from it. We read Psalm 51 earlier, create in me a clean heart, O God. Give me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. David's saying, cleanse me, God, right? Remove the sin from my life. Then I will experience your presence. Then I will be full of your spirit. Then I will walk in joy. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your way. Verse 14, then my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Verse 15, then my mouth will declare your praise. If you desire true satisfaction in this life, then stop seeking satisfaction from your sin. Remove it. Allow the Spirit of God to fill you up. Pursue the Lord with willingness. Remember, God's people at the beginning, they followed Him willingly through the wilderness Right? Through dry and barren lands, through deserts and deserted places where no one dwells, through lands of drought and deep darkness, they followed God willingly even when times were tough. They followed him with a trusting dependence upon him. You know, Jeremiah 2, verse 13, really brings everything together for us. It says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. See, they'd forsaken God, and they dug their own wells. They turned away from the living water, and and they sought satisfaction from their own efforts, and the result, emptiness. They pursued worthless, empty things, and they became empty. They tried to dig cisterns, wells, But they were broken. They couldn't hold any water. They would never satisfy. Again, verse 11 says that they exchanged the glorious God for worthless idols. And that may be you this morning. See, the gospel says that we're like the Israelites. Right, That we've turned away from God and we have followed after the worthless and empty things in this world. Our lives were full of sin and as a result we were separated from God and the consequences of our sin was death. But God didn't want to leave you there. God didn't want to leave you in separation so he sent his son his only unique perfect son Jesus to die in your place satisfying the payment for your sin and then he rose Jesus from the dead offering new eternal life to all who trust and believe in him Romans ten thirteen promises that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved so that even when we're stuck in our sins and even when we've exchanged our glorious God for worthless things 2 Corinthians 5:21 God says I'm going to exchange your sin for my righteousness this is our God he's saying come to me come drink be satisfied stop running after these worthless and empty things stop digging wells stop seeking satisfaction from something that just won't work you know think of it like this gas is expensive now right I just saw it drop below $4, $3.99. I was excited. Um, but, but imagine this, right? Um, Pastor Brad and I, um, gas is expensive, so imagine Pastor Brad and I decided we're going to go start digging for oil. Okay? So, so while we're digging, um, we hear this explosion behind us. And we turn around, and, and right there behind us, there's this enormous oil geyser just gushing. And, I mean, it's, it's got to be spraying 50 feet high. However, instead of rejoicing at the incredible treasure that we found, we turn back around and keep digging in the dirt. Nope, no oil here. Next hole. Nope, still nothing. Hey, Brad, do you see any oil? And, And all the while, all of the oil is gushing. I mean, it's overflowing behind us, so much so that the oil started to run down and, and saturate the soil, it's like black sludge moving across the earth. And so Brad and I, we look down, and we see some of the oil. And we go, oh, look, look, there's oil. We get excited, and we start digging, and we start digging, but that oil dries up, and it runs out because there's no source there. And the process repeats itself. You see oil on the ground. You get excited. Think you finally found at last what you were searching for, another empty hole, Disappointment. And the whole time there's a gushing, overflowing geyser spewing out precious cargo right behind us in church. What I want you to hear this morning is that God is saying, that's me. That's me. I, I am the fountain of living water. He who drinks of me will never thirst again. I am the bread of life. Whoever eats will never go hungry. I am the only one who can bring rest and satisfaction to your souls. Come to me. I embrace the prodigal son. Come to me. I am near the brokenhearted. Come to me. I am a friend closer than a brother. Come to me. I am your refuge in the storm. Come to me. I am an inexhaustible source of joy. Oh, won't you come to me? Won't you come and drink and be satisfied? Why are you running from after empty things, empty things that can never satisfy your soul? Can't you see me? The band is going to lead us in a new song, a song declaring our steadfast hope and trust in God, our solid rock. And as we look to him, I encourage you that while the band sings, you come down here and you do business with God. If there are worthless things, empty things that you have been seeking satisfaction from, you come and you lay them down. If you need to confess and repent of your sins in your life, and there's things that have been keeping you from being filled with the Spirit and experiencing the presence and the power and the joy of God in your life, come to Him. Lay those things down. Don't settle for lamb chops when you've got filet mignon. Y'all respond as the Lord leads you.
0: Amen. well, I encourage you again to stand with us as we sing a new song or sit or come here to the altar and and pray and and ponder these things that that Pastor Ryan has, has so graciously shared with us, that we might see the glory of the Lord and we might be saved. Don't wait.
3: night.
2: guys for being here. I'm um, just so thankful to be able to share God's word with you and just to worship with you. Thank you to our worship team. You guys are awesome. I want to give you just a few announcements. Uh, again, if you're a visitor, we are just so excited to hear. here. We welcome you here. We ask that you would uh, just text the word CONNECT uh, to our church number 910-424-1298. If you're a member, I'll give that to you again. Just text the word CONNECT to our church number 910 424 1298. We'd love to just get a chance to meet you, put a face to the name, just hear your story. Please just introduce yourself. Got a couple things coming up. Um, our first uh, big announcement of our men's retreat that's happening in October. Is that right? It's October. Our men's retreat, final payments are due. So if you don't know what you pay, just call the, call the church office, that same number. Our church secretaries will let you know what you owe. Um, we have our uh, students heading out on a... Uh, a student leadership conference to uh, to Washington, D.C. tomorrow morning. Uh, they'd appreciate your prayers as they leave and as they go out for the week that uh, God would speak to them all that he desires. Uh, we have a mission team that left for Kentucky this morning. This morning they left before we met. So I appreciate, I know they would appreciate your prayers as they're out just serving and, and administering the gospel to those who are in Kentucky and administering to some, some some needy mothers. So y'all pray for them, ask for God to use them. But again, I love you guys, I'm so thankful for you, and y'all have a blessed week. Take care.